customers, employees, everyone is hungry for a little bit of joy. And I think we all have now accepted there is no end. It's a new reality. Now, how do we work with that and build a life, whether it's more online or more delivery or, or more other creative venues, but build a life with the reality that we have. Hi, I'm Nelson Murray, and this is Talking Squarely. In this special three-episode Talking Squarely mini-series, we're checking in with independent business owners as they look back at their experiences almost two years into the pandemic. Today, we're revisiting some of our old friends from season one, one year later, for their insights and perspectives on how the ongoing pandemic is still affecting their businesses, how they've pivoted, and ultimately, what they've learned. It's been very interesting. You know, our business was really born out of a passion of baking and realizing like, wow, we can actually turn this into a business. And I think the pandemic really forced us to think about what are our priorities in life. That's Astrid Rivera, co-founder of Taming Turtle Cookies. She started her business with her boyfriend as a side hustle during the pandemic out of their Portland, Oregon apartment, selling at local farmers markets and now selling online. It's been interesting in a way of starting a business during a pandemic because all of the things that might have affected other maybe more traditional businesses maybe forced us to take a different route, right? So we had started, you know, pre-pandemic, maybe we would have gone all in on a food cart or a storefront or figured something out, or maybe we wouldn't have even started the business, to be honest with you. But because we had this time, so much was changing and we were really able to just focus on like, oh, we actually really love this and we want to prioritize this in our life. And this is an opportunity to go to a local market and just see what it's like. It almost actually gave us an opportunity to, to try a different avenue. Lauren Stovall of Hot Sam's, a 100-year-old men's clothing boutique located in Detroit, Michigan, says day-to-day uncertainty still weighs on her. It's just wild to me to actually still think that we're still uh, here. And so with that said, I think we're still figuring it out. I mean, and I feel silly to say that, but we are still figuring it out. It's still like day by day, uh, week by week, month by month. I mean, we've gotten into kind of a groove now um, in terms of what this, you know, I guess to say new normal is you know, and, and what's going to be next. We've kind of gotten into a, a groove, but it's still, we're still in uncertain times and we're still in, you know, unchartered territory here. Things are still very touch and go, especially in terms of what's happening with COVID. There's still not quite an end in sight. And so with that still looming, obviously it impacts our business and, you know, obviously everyone that is uh, here today and just every business in the world, every, everyone and everything is still impacted by this. For Jesse Jacobs of Joyride Pizza in San Francisco, COVID-19 closed one door, but opened another. When pivoting wasn't enough, he completely changed his business. When COVID first hit, back when we spoke a year or so ago, and it seemed traumatic to everyone and fairly short-termed and it just became apparent that nobody's going into restaurants, cafes, or tea houses for the foreseeable future. And so for us, the middle term was really to pivot and focus purely on e-commerce and how to crack that nut and become a master of the tools of the day in order to really um, deliver tea through our website, which is something we made a good efforts in doing and we're happy to have evolved to doing it. And I would say whenever it was, it appeared COVID was coming to an end. We had the resolution to 
kickstart our tea lounges and be amongst the first to create safe, healthy places for people to gather in San Francisco and and relive the awesome experiences of cafe life and tea houses and, and such. And so we did. We reopened, relaunched. To the best of our ability, we hired up a staff and adjusted our menu. I would say as the days wore into weeks and months, it became apparent that Delta was present, fear was even more present, and that the business model of cafe life was not happening. And so it was really bittersweet to realize we had to close our stores and rethink and, and go back to e-commerce. And it was really, I would say, disorienting and frustrating having built a business for 20 years, wanting to be the, the positive front of being really a harbinger of happiness and joy and, and tea as it seemed like COVID was coming to an end. So it, it didn't. And that was harsh reality of dealing with reality as it was. As an entrepreneur, and I'm sure as other folks here, you can definitely understand those moments of darkness when it seems like you've tried everything you can and it's simply just too big of a nut to crack. And so I sat with that basically in this state of limbo in realizing, wow, the business that I had built was not meant to be at this moment. Was it e-commerce? Was it something else? Was it an online, online cooking program? It really just took it all the way back to grassroots. And with my own practices of just mindfulness and creativity and just trying to take time journaling and really just disconnect from, from the efforts we had, came to the realization that the world was full of fear and anxiety and that what would it be like to create a business that was about helping people answer that call of a little bit of joy. And during the whole period of COVID, spent a good amount of time cooking at home. My wife got into baking. The Bay Area is home to outstanding cuisine, outstanding artisan purveyors. And with a bit of creative influence from my peers, realized that there was a possibility of doing something as basic as pizza. And that was the beginning, the, the idea that, wow, what would it take to take our locations and create a new brand and think about pizza in a new way? In Detroit Pizza, it seemed a way to innovate, to do something that had clearly had a rabid following in the Midwest, and that wasn't really happening in the Bay Area. And so we brainstormed, we looked at recipes, we are indeed, we talked to local suppliers and farmers and decided to launch a brand focused on the joy of pizza that you experience when you had your first bite. And that was the experience and the emotion that we wanted to bring to the world. We felt like, you know what? People are a little down and out. Let's bring joy with a guilty pleasure and do it in a way that's unique to the Bay Area that connects with all the local suppliers. What was the biggest lesson you've learned from this experience? Customers, employees, everyone is hungry for a little bit of joy. And I think we all have now accepted there is no end. It's a new reality. Now, how do we work with that? and build a life, whether it's more online or more delivery or, or more other creative venues, but build a life with the reality that we have. And I would say that, you know, COVID has, has many horrific qualities to it and also transformational. And so through, I, I've tried to look at this as a lesson where the, the challenge of change has also been a, a catalyst for growth. Well, it, it is a, a curious thing today that we have Lauren uh, Stovall with us, who is, is based in Detroit. So Lauren, the next time you make it to San Francisco, you'll have to uh, to visit Joyride Pizza and let us know what you think of their Detroit-style Detroit pizza. Um, <laughs> but Astrid, th this is a really a good uh, segue to you because, you know, Jesse is talking about this this notion of embracing reality and and. and it seems as though the timing of Taming Turtle Cookies coming into the world during this pandemic, you 
have had to do that uh, from right from the start. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to give birth to an independent business in this period that is full of so much uncertainty and, and constraint? Definitely. Um, I actually really resonated with what Jesse said. You know, we actually left um, San Francisco during the pandemic because it, it was getting so stressful. And I think when we decided to to start, we had just moved to Portland um, and we saw an opportunity, not only because, you know, we didn't see the product that we were selling, um, but we saw an opportunity because Portland was so welcoming, not only to new business, but um, we could operate without potentially having a storefront or without having a huge online presence. Well, I'm curious how... Uh, and and you, you can talk a little bit about the makeup of the company itself in terms of uh, employees, the role that you play. But how have you actually uh, set up a business model or arranged a business model to try to eliminate a lot of the things that have become stress points in other businesses, especially ones that, that um, require actual interactions between customers and guests, whether that's, you know, whether that's uh, you know a customer walking up to a counter or um, you know something like a massage parlor, obviously it's it's impossible to sort of get around customer and employee interactions. How have you sort of woven those kinds of considerations into your business model? Right. No, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think for us, well, the makeup of the company is um, I'm a co-founder, and then uh, my partner Zach, he's actually the the baker and you know the the recipe developer. So it was really just us two, um, and has been. We actually just hired our our first employee a year later, which is great. Um, but in terms of of the considerations for us, you know, I think we were very lucky to to find a farmer's market that was um, the person who who created this farmer's market and, and led it. Uh, she herself was a pastry chef for about 25 years um, and not only was very careful about curating vendors, but also was extremely careful about COVID um, and all of those considerations. And so us going to a farmer's market meant, you know, obviously wearing masks, obviously, you know, being vaccinated, but also, you know, maybe having a plexiglass. So, you know, people can't really like get really close to the, to the products, to the cookies. Um, you know, maybe it means that we skip out certain markets, um, because we don't feel comfortable and maybe we do, you know, that this is, this is, uh, maybe unconventional, but maybe we say, Hey, today, if you want cookies, we're going to be at this parking lot pre-order um, and we'll have your box for you. And, you know, each person comes up and we kind of drop it off at their car. Um, so it's been really interesting, you know, finding those workarounds of like what we feel comfortable, what makes our guests feel comfortable. But also I think for small businesses that maybe don't have a storefront or a food cart that are going to farmer's markets, finding that environment where the person who's organizing it is also so strict and and careful and makes you feel a little bit better about showing up um and then just being creative um i think instagram has been kind of our main platform of like having really personal relationships with uh our customers and saying like hey i, I really i really would like cookies um on friday like can 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 we figure something out or um there's been even people in our apartment building who have found out about us. And I'm like, wait, we live in the same building. I can just drop it off. <laughs> so um, so it's been really interesting for sure. 
Jesse, I'm curious for your your take on that. With Joyride, you, you have the physical real estate, uh, you know, as you mentioned, in the Mission and in the Yerba Buena Gardens area of San Francisco. How has Joyride, uh, how has the business model adapted to try to provide an experience that's both welcoming to customers in a time of change and a, a, a sort of way of working that you know is going to make you and your employee base feel comfortable? So, you know, going from a cafe tea house where people spend hours on end writing their novel or having a blind date and hanging out all day, right, drinking good matcha, for example, um, and knowing that's not possible. So the first thing was, okay, create an outstanding product that travels well and that's delicious, that people crave. And so, you know, this Detroit-style pizza became just the perfect vehicle for all of that. In terms of locations, it was like, all right, well... Number one, we have to work with our landlords. So the landlords were very amenable to adjusting our rent and sort of uh, making it a percentage rent and really understanding the challenges of business and retail these days and the unknown reality. So working with the landlords, having a product that worked well with this. And so one of the qualities of that is, of course, transportability, whether customers pick it up or whether it's for delivery. Um, this style of pizza, especially because of the, the moisture content and the size of it, really travels well. It stay, keep, retains its warmth for a while, um, doesn't, doesn't get too um, sort of, a, what, what's the word, abused during transportation. So it was really looking at our locations and, and not only being able to make a great product that if customers want to come in or if, if the you know, restraints open up, people can come in and hang out, great. Also is great for to-go in terms of you can pick it up and then delivery drivers. Like how do we use these locations and the neighborhoods around there to make it frictionless for delivery drivers to, to grab the orders that have come through. So it was an internal workflow assessment for sure from making the product to making it um, easily distributable out, outside of that as also enjoyable inside. So if you wanna come and hang out and sit in your Buena Gardens, well, it's an amazing location with a beautiful outdoor dining patio. How do we maximize that? So we ended up getting a full liquor license there as well. And so we really, we notched out two different models. One is on Valencia Street, a smaller location. Think of it as a slice house. You're walking down the street, grab a killer slice to go, pick up a pizza, personal pizza. Really small location, 600 square feet. You can eat it outside in the parklet or really grab it on the go. Yerba Gardens is downtown San Francisco in the middle of the city, outdoor dining. We can seat almost 100 people there. And you can have a fairly refined experience where you grab a cocktail, a bottle of wine. We broaden the menu there as well. You know, Lauren, you mentioned the considerations that you are weighing for how to make sure that this new e-commerce wing of Hot Sam's feels like Hot Sam's, feels like the experience that a customer would have in your physical store. And, you know, obviously that's that's a challenge that any independent business or any business of any kind has to weigh when choosing to sort of become an omni-channel business and have a presence online as well as one in a retail space, for example. How did you weigh those kinds of considerations? This is, it's new territory uh, for us to be an e-commerce. I don't know how we have managed to make it to 100 years um, without an e-commerce, but somehow we have. And I think, um, to your point, it is attributed to the, the customer experience that is had uh, when, when being in the store. So, you know, we're much more than a store. We kind of reach beyond the doors of our store and, and are very much into um, the heart of the community um, and, and have investments in the heart of the people. 
you know, in the community, not just the city, but the, the people that make up the community. And so we're very much like a cheers where everybody knows your name. I'm just trying to set the platform for it. We're very much like a, you know, a barber shop where you come in and whether you're buying something or not, you sit around and we have like this couch that everyone just sits on. I mean, we have comfortable, you know, chairs and, and we have, it's an ambiance. It's an experience. And you come in and you talk about sports or you talk about politics or religion or just what's happening in the city and you laugh and you, you know, and you joke and you just have a good time, whether you're buying anything or not. And so um, to translate that online was a bit challenging. Um, and so we played around with, you know, just putting the inventory online, you know, add it to your shopping cart and check out and, you know, and I don't know if that really um, shared our, our story or our experience. And so um, it's been very touch and go. I recently had some interns uh, who were working uh, on our e-commerce platform. And so, um, you know, they did a deep study. Uh, I'm actually very grateful that we had these interns, but they did a deep study and got some customer feedback on what we could tweak. Um, you know, and, and how we could tailor our, our e-commerce to really translate the, the environment and the culture that is had inside of the store. Um, so one of the things that uh, we did was we added this uh, feature, I don't know if anyone has heard of it, but Google 360, where you can, um, you know, essentially it's like you have a virtual tour of the store. Um, I really like that aspect. I've heard great feedback so far that it's helpful just to so you can kind of tour the store, you can look at each clothing rack and it's still developing because what I hope to do is as you're able to go throughout this and navigate throughout this Google 360 that you can click on a rack. Now see, this is like getting a little more advanced I hear, but it would really be great if you could click on the rack and then be able to shop, um, you know, and purchase an item on that rack. Now I wanna add to that. Um, and so then also, um, um, you know, even just the, the layout um, and making sure for our customer needs to be very seamless. It needs to be very streamlined and it needs to be user friendly. Um, and so that's what's actually great uh, about the Square e-commerce and the Square online is that it is very user friendly. I mean, so much so that I was able to, you know, even kind of set it up, but also it's easy for our customers to navigate through. And so simplicity is key for us. Um, but also a way to, um, you know, be able to interact. So the pictures, some of the pictures that we've recently updated, they came from a recent fashion, sh fashion show. So a lot of our customers like to, you know, see themselves. And, um, and so we kind of added some cool photos that came from a fashion show that we recently had. And that, that's kind of the, uh, the makeup of how you see the clothing. Well, you know, Astrid, I'm the kind of person who would uh, follow your business just because there are pictures of, of beautiful cookies posted on Instagram. But I'm curious to hear from you. You mentioned the power of Instagram. How have you leveraged digital platforms to create a sense of a full and, and unique brand for Taming Turtle Cookies, especially since uh, this isn't a situation where you've been able to have customers, you know, come in and smell smell the, the cookies from down the block before they, they line up with friends and family to, to take a box home. Yeah, definitely. So I too am a person who follows a lot of food brands on social um, because they, you know, they make me crave it when I see like pictures of cookies or cakes or anything else. 
Oh, yes. Love a good pizza picture. Um, but, you know, so I, I definitely understood the power of a visual platform like Instagram to kind of start getting the word out and, and you know, join the community, not just local um, Portlanders, but really dessert lovers and food lovers um, at large. And so, um, you know, I, I really started just kind of like taking beautiful pictures or what I consider beautiful pictures of, of our cookies and really also just capturing really fun moments, behind the scene moments, um, really take um, people on the journey that we've been through, right? Of we're just two people who have never owned a small business and we're starting this and here's us making a bunch of dough in the kitchen. Hope you enjoy. Um, and so it's been really great just to see the reaction of, of you know the small community that we've that we've built on the platform I think the best part has been being able to ask questions in real time so the other day we were considering like should we make a oatmeal raisin cookie or a walnut chocolate chip cookie and I just put the quiz on you know put a quiz on our Instagram story and immediately got feedback and it was like sweet walnut chocolate chip it is this weekend that's what we're doing and and it was so great and then you know the oatmeal raisin fans were like hello where when are we going to get our cookie um so you know it creates a little bit of intrigue um because we will definitely drop it down the line at some point but i think just cultivating that personal relationship i think so many of um our customers feel so comfortable to just send us a direct message and and even if it's not to order cookies it'll be like hey i thought of you because x y and z or it was so great to, to see you at the farmer's market or, you know, they want to post on their own stories um, because they, you know, they want to support her because they truly love the cookies and, and that gives us additional content. And so I think it's been a really great platform, not only just to obviously have people discover the brand, but to create those personal relationships um, with our customers. The pandemic has really shown us uh, the power of community and how the definition of community has evolved. It's both the people in your neighborhood, but it's also the people who have an interest in your brand from afar. So how do you find time to manage all of that and keep yourself sane? Jesse, let's start with you. Let's see. Well, we start with 24 hours. (laughs) Um, How do you make the time? That is a huge question, Um, especially in the face of so much uncertainty. I think it can be hard to be strategic with so many unknowns out there. Things can get scary. And as soon as you go down the road of the unknowns, we become less creative. So for me, it starts about just having a practice that that allows me to to see more clearly. Um, Very simply, I go to bed early and wake up early when there's less noise outside and less distraction. And, and try to really just ask myself every day, what is the most important thing that I could add value to? Um, what moves the dial? Whether it's, and it's, you know, I would say it's consistent in terms of, okay, increase revenue, cut costs. But it also changes a lot within that, whether it means working with an employee, working with a vendor. I think that the new, I don't even, I don't know a good word for it. I'm open to anyone else's idea, like new reality, but I don't like post-pandemic because it's just the world we're in, but this world we're in, I find very challenging with reliability with vendors. And so it goes back to that flexibility. Like, how do I see clearly to, to remedy the situation and move forward? Um, and time in the day, yeah, I, I try not to burn myself out uh, and, and do healthy things that replenish my battery so that I can see clearly and deal with this new um, the new way that we're doing business. I think that's to survive also is to thrive and, and not just to sort of give up and, and um, 
yeah, relinquish it to all the challenges. So it's, it, it's a, you know, I would say a practice going back to that idea, but I'm open. I'd love to hear what other, other folks do. I would, you know, in short, going to bed early, waking up early and trying to be adaptive to the um, higher frequency of challenges that come up, whether it's people or product um, or even customers, right? People are sensitive to new protocols. Jesse, I love I love what you said. Um, I think for us, um, you know, really relying on my partner and and saying, you know, delegating like here's here's kind of like your swim lane. Here's kind of my swim lane. Um, how do we stay in touch and make sure that these things are, are being done? I think in terms of social media, you know, sometimes we, we do lose that balance a little bit um, because we do have to prioritize operations or the actual baking or recipe development, whatever it may be. Um, but to that end, I think really delegating and prioritizing and just being kind of honest with yourself about um, what you can realistically get done. I think for us, um, we realized, hey, you know, a good investment would maybe be actually hiring an employee. Um, and maybe it's, it's too early, but we need to scale and we need to delegate. Jesse, can you talk a little bit more about some of the higher level uh, supply chain issues that you, you've encountered and, and maybe how you've adapted to them? That was to me, Jesse. Yeah. So let's see. I mean, I would say it's a great question and we face it both with our brick and mortar as well as, you know, we're still running samovart.com so you can order great chai online and um, tell the world about that. But we see the supply chain issues, which with they're especially more poignant where we're dealing with international realities of politics and um, Suez canals and whatnot. So I think that for number one, there are um, a higher frequency of just surprises. Last, you know, well, well, in the past, we would have gotten a three-month warning that, hey, it looks like vanilla bean is going to be in short supply, so we should find an alternate blend so we can do without it or pay double. Nowadays, it's simply, wow, we were expecting an arrival of vanilla bean, and they just said it's six months out minimum. And this is, you know, a 24-hour notice, right? So a lot more of these just surprises, whether it's with our international side of things in the tea, tea world, um, just out of stocks, as simple as that. So that's as, as well as local. So I think that locally, there, um, there's both out of stock as well as the, the people side of things is challenging. So delivery drivers, you know, we had, we had worked with some of the big broadline distributors before, and their prices have gone up and their delivery um their delivery windows in which times they can deliver product have gone down. So now we're paying more for, let's say, um, uh, sprouts and, and mozzarella cheese, for example. We're paying more for it because there's challenges all through and gas prices have went up. And we're actually less, we're less able to get it. It's less accessible. Instead of having five-day delivery schedules, so, so building a backstock, investing more in, in what sits on our shelves so that we don't have surprises, right? So some of our core products, let's say brick cheese, right? Which is one of the core ingredients that makes Detroit pizza what it is with that amazing crust. We can't run out of that. So maybe we're having to almost buy futures and buy say three to five times the volume just to sit on inventory. So we know we're not going to run out. That is core to our business. You know, it's, it's not an option. But it means it, it's, we're sitting on inventory, which means you're sitting on dollars on your shelves and not converting it to, to real profit. And that requires a different balance sheet, right? Suddenly you have to pull, pull cash aside just to sit on your shelf, which is a different set of, yeah, different economic challenge. Lauren, I'm thinking about you in particular because of the fact that you now have this e-commerce wing of Hot Sam's and that was not something that, that existed previously. How have you dealt with uh, the, the sort of logistical tricks of getting things shipped to customers and managing customer expectations there? 
Um, you know, we really had to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, be um, upfront, you know, with our customers when we've experienced um, some challenges, especially in terms of shipping, which we have encountered um, working with some of our vendors and some delays in shipping and things of that nature. Um, and even our capacity <clears throat> uh, being limited. And so we've had to have some, um, you know, different communication with customers. And, and this has been a time that I'm seeing a lot of empathy, um, you know, on both sides, having to empathize with the customer and, and how they, you know, they're going to feel about a delay. Um, but then also, also the customer being empathetic with um, our circumstance as business owners and, and what we are enduring um, you know, and going through at this time as well. So what I find is our customer is uh, understanding, um, you know, and has been really, um, there's been a lot of grace, you know, on both ends being shown. And I think that's such, uh, so important and so vital uh, during these times is that we have grace and empathy um, for everyone. And so um, our customer has been fine, but we have experienced some of the same things that, that Jesse is, is referring to. Um, and so those are some of the challenges and the hurdles and the things that we are uh, having to endure at this time. But I'm very grateful, again, that our customer seems to understand our position. Um, and I find that if we just stay in contact and communication with our customers and with our clients, that we're better off for it. We're now two years into this new reality, as Jesse puts it. Um, as we come to a close, I'd love to hear from all three of you. What helps you stay positive in the midst of this continued uncertainty? Something that gives me hope, I would say, honestly, the community, um, the customers themselves. I had no idea what to expect when I, you know, got into this business. And I think the the support, the love, the just, I don't know, not even just from customers, honestly, from other vendors, other businesses. I think everyone genuinely wants you to succeed. And you know, especially if they love your product, they, they really want to see you, you know, grow. And I, I think I was not expecting that um, when we when we got in this. And I know there's there's a lot of issues and a lot of things happening in the world. And, you know, maybe it, it succeeds or maybe it doesn't. I mean, sometimes we're just like, oh, what have we done? And, you know, we're in the kitchen and like I have burns on my arms and, you know, all these things. And then I, I you know, I'll get a comment or I'll have someone reach out to us and it's like, okay, this is why we're doing this. Like, this is truly bringing joy into people's lives. Well, Jesse, you were at the very beginning of a new chapter of your entrepreneurial life. What, what gives you hope about the, uh, the future right now in this face of uncertainty? If you were to, to only read the news, you would think it's, it's pretty bad. And yet to be on the ground dealing with real people who are showing up, making a living, just looking for simple sustenance, like the the resilience and the um, the spirit is inspiring, and I think it's it's what gets me, gets me up every day. Like to to be able to work with people and and definitely connect and appreciate it. Right post pandemic when we're all holed up, I think I know that I'm a little more grateful to be able to be in the community of other people and those folks who walk in and place an order. You can see it resonate. It's like wow, I can see people, I can smell something amazing, and I can walk down the street. And I think those little things are, um, are a lot to be grateful for and hopeful for. Well, it, it, it says something that both you and Astrid have spoken to 
community and, and, and you know, in, in, from different perspectives. But I, I think that there's an immense part of the joy of, of my job, frankly, is this recognition and this constant reminder that the independent business community is just that, is it, it is a community. And obviously that, that it manifests itself in city by city and across different states, but it really is a national and international thing. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that both of you are, are feeling the love uh, from being members of that broader community. Lauren, what's your take? When I think of hope, I think of, you know, the spirit of the people and the community in the city of Detroit. There is no way um, that we would be here at 100 years old of a business um, and made it through a pandemic, survived through a pandemic, and also on par to thrive um, in the midst and, and subsequent to this pandemic. There's no way that we would have made it without the support of the city, uh, of Detroit, uh, just the community and the people that support us. Uh, and so I have hope that, and I would say that for all of the businesses here, that we're doing a, an important work. Um, I think it's a testament to any business that makes it through and in the midst of this and after this pandemic that there is um, there's greater purpose for that business. And so that is what I'm hopeful for, is that we're serving a greater purpose uh, to serve the community, to serve the people. And so it's not just about... Um, you know, it's not just about the business or what you're selling, um, but that you're of service. And so I'm hopeful that any business that is still in business and doing business right now in this year and beyond, um, that they are of servitude. Well, uh, three very beautiful sentiments to end on. Astrid, Jesse, and Lauren, thank you all very much for sharing your time and your energy and your minds with us today. Uh, I know that all of the listeners of Talking Squarely will really appreciate it and feel much more a part of the independent business community. You can find Astrid's decadent Taming Turtle cookies online at TamingTurtle.com and on Instagram at TamingTurtleCookies. Get a taste of Jesse's Detroit-style pizza shop, Joyride Pizza, online at joyridepizza.com and on Instagram at joyride.pizza or swing by in person in San Francisco. And visit Lauren's menswear boutique Hot Sam's in Detroit, online at hotsamsdetroit.com and on Facebook at Hot Sam's Detroit. A special thanks to Astrid, Jesse, and Lauren for sharing their unique perspectives. You've been listening to Talking Squarely, a Square production. This episode was produced by Vidya Rao and Clara Shannon. Our music was composed by Jordan Wallace, with sound recording by Sorrentino Media and D.R. Baker. I'm Nelson Murray. Thanks for listening.